The Bible is a book full of unsolved mysteries. Are you looking to finally make sense of it all? Join our weekly conversation and think about the Bible like you never have before. Listen, watch, and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. You're listening to Christian Questions. Here's Rick and Jonathan. John Gay once said, Cowards are cruel, but the brave love mercy and delight to save. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentarios who look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format. We welcome your thoughts via email, messaging us at ChristianQuestions.com, Facebook, and our website chat board. Jonathan, what's our topic for today? Well, Rick, our question is, is mercy compatible with justice? And our theme text is found in Hosea 12, verse 6. Therefore, turn thou to thy God, keep mercy and judgment, and wait on thy God continually. Okay, so again, the question, is mercy compatible with justice? Mercy or justice? We often see them as opposites. When someone does something particularly bad, we want justice in its harshest and most direct form to be there waiting for them. We tend to see justice as hard but righteous punishment reserved for those who we feel deserve it. Mercy is perceived differently. Often we think of being merciful, there is a sense of pity or compassion because we want it applied to those who we feel deserve a a break. The problem here? Too often our thinking and our actions regarding justice and mercy are based on our emotional reaction to the situation at hand. Too often we misrepresent what justice really means and how mercy really works. The good news is that God has given us all of the necessary guidelines not only to define but to live by just thinking and merciful response. So, Jonathan, today it's about Mercy and justice, can the two get along, or or are they just at the opposite ends of the spectrum and never the twain shall meet? And there are different opinions in Christianity on this very question. Yeah, and, and, and that's an important place to start is there's a lot of different opinions. Let's actually go to a soundbite to just get started, Justice versus Mercy by Todd Reinhardt, and he gives a very specific perspective on justice and mercy. Justice versus mercy. Justice is an acknowledgement of the law of cause and effect, while mercy is an attempt to negate it. In the short term, and to the unthinking, disintegrated mind, mercy seems superior to justice. It's easy to cast justice as harsh and heartless, and portray mercy as good and loving. However, over the long term, justice develops individuals with stronger character greater self-reliance, and as a result are happier and enjoy higher levels of self-esteem. These individuals are more productive, innovative, and honorable. Over the long term, mercy undermines the growth and future capacities of individuals and nations by refuting the law of cause and effect and the inextricable link between reality and justice. Okay, so there is an opinion. Uh, So what do you think of that opinion? 
I'm not too keen on it, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good. Actually, neither, neither am I. Uh, you know, he, he's putting justice and mercy exactly at odds and saying mercy undermines justice. And those who abide by mercy first end up in a, in a position where things f- kind of fall apart. Now, he's got a point with that. There's no question about that. But he's okay. making them at odds. We, we, we really don't see it that way. As a matter of fact, coming up throughout this podcast, the next couple of segments, we're going to define God's justice in a way that most people, even Christians, would never give him credit for. We're going to f- define God's justice in a way, folks, I'll bet that you have never heard And it's scriptural. So this is not something like, oh, Jonathan and Rick cooked up this idea. No, no. We're reading the scriptures and trying to put them in place. So that's coming up uh, really soon uh, next segment. Jonathan, not only for the sake of everyone, not only do we believe that mercy and justice are compatible, we believe that they are inseparable. Further, we believe that God set all of this in order by virtue of his revealed plan. So We believe that justice and mercy are inseparable because God put it all together and delivered it to us. So so three three very important points on this. Well, Rick, true justice cannot exist without a foundation of love. Okay. So now we're talking about justice and mercy and justice and mercy. Now you're bringing love into the picture. And you can't talk about God and his plan or anything else without talking about love as well. So that's important. Justice can't exist without a foundation of love. And a lot of times people think about that and say, what are you talking about? Well, just just hang on. We'll get there. Next point. True justice is restorative and must have mercy to be complete. Okay. True justice is restorative. Now, what that means and how that works, we're going to get to in a much bigger way in the next segment. But keep that idea in mind of restorative justice and the necessity of having mercy as being a part of that. Third point that we're going to be working through from a scriptural basis. Mercy is the foundation for grace. See, now you just keep confusing the issue. (laughs) Because you started out, you bring in love. We've got justice, we've got mercy, and now there's grace. And you're saying that mercy is the foundation on which grace is built. Well, how is that possible? We'll get to that as well. So, folks, a lot coming up as we put this all together. So, in order to put it together, sometimes you got to take something apart. Okay, you got to take it apart and examine the pieces. So, let's take this whole thing apart. First of all, justice, according to Scripture is the very foundation of how God works. And Jonathan, this next scripture, Psalm 89, 14, is a scripture that we have quoted many, many, many times. And it's a very definitive scripture in trying to understand God and his plans and and, and his character and so forth. And as I read this, um, you're going to interject as I go along. Okay, I will do that. Are you ready? Righteousness. Okay, righteousness means right or equity. Go ahead. And justice. And the, the, the interesting thing about that word, justice literally means a verdict pronounced judicially. So when it says righteousness, it's right and justice. Properly pronounced verdicts. Go ahead. Are the foundation of your throne. Loving kindness. Which actually means kindness or goodness. And truth go before you. Okay, so we've got righteousness, equity, and properly pronounced verdicts are the foundation of God's throne. 
universal righteous judgment based on universal truth. That's what this text is telling us. And that tells us just how God works. Well, Rick, this reminds me of the four attributes of God, this verse. Justice forms the boundary in which God operates. Wisdom surveys the field for the best solution. Power accomplishes this. And love is the motive behind it all. Okay. And, and, and see, that really fits. And we're not going to be necessarily focusing on the attributes of God, but putting them on the table is really important. The four attributes of God, and we've done podcasts on this in the past, justice, wisdom, power, and love. These are the four ways that God works his plan. And Everything fits into the combination of all four of those things. And so, so that's an important place for us to begin. So justice is the foundation of his throne. And, you know, a lot of times we read that, and especially when you look at the Old Testament, you say, well, of course it was. In the Old Testament, he was hard and, you know, to the line, and this is the way it is, thus saith the Lord, you will or else. And, and you say, yeah, you see, that's justice. That's the foundation of his throne. Well, that's not really a complete picture of his justice, nor is it a complete complete picture of God himself. Because while justice is the foundation of how God works, our next scripture is going to tell us who God is. This is 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And again, we read the end of verse 8, and how many times does that verse get, those three words get quoted all by themselves? So often, over and over again. And you know, those are great words. God I is love. I love those words. Right. And, but but you, what the important thing is to not take those words and create a meaning that doesn't belong with those words. Because you have to take God as love with the statement that justice is the foundation of his throne. So you say, okay, well, somehow those things have to work together. God is love and works based on justice. You know, most people see those two almost as a contradiction. And a lot of times, Jonathan, those who are critical of the Bible look at the Old Testament and say, well, there's one God in the Old Testament, and there's another God in the New Testament. And you... No, 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 no. <laughs> and so the idea is understanding that the attributes, what we see of God in the Old and what we see of God in the New, is all part of the same big, amazing picture. So now let's look at his plan as it unfolds, okay? So we've got the foundation of God's throne is justice, but God is love. So let's look at this plan unfolding Genesis 1:26. Then God said, "Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth." So the idea was that there was creation. And you think, yeah, God created. Everybody knows that. Or, you know, people doubt it, but you know what I mean. You know, you, you read it and say, yes, God created the heavens and the earth. He created man in his own image and on and on. Stop and think about that. The act of creating in one's own image is not just building something for the sake of building something. 
that is an act of love. That is a powerful, profound creation. That is different than just making some than making sand castles out of out of out of sand, you know, by the seashore. That's not what this is. This is this is making something that will reflect who you are. That's amazing. Wow, that's awesome. That is fabulous. <laughs> and 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 that's what what drives that in God is love. So we talked about love, Jonathan. So take take that a little bit further. Sure, Rick. Love is the foundation of creation, for it is the driving force that endows all that is created with an unmistakable harmony of purpose. Love gave birth to communication, adoration, and the sacred music of discipleship. Love needs justice to flourish. Okay, so let, let's go over love a little bit. You know, Now look, this is a podcast on mercy and justice, but you cannot appropriately talk about mercy and justice unless you understand who God is. And if the scripture says God is love, we need to understand what that means. So this act of creating in his own image is he's creating the ability for harmony. Now, if you pause right there and you say, okay, let's look around and, t- and take a test. How did God do with this harmony? And you look around today and you say, well, wait a minute. There's a mess out there. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's not only a, a lack of harmony, it is everything is falling apart. It is not harmony, but it grows closer and closer to anarchy. And you think, well, how could that be? You know, God is love. How, how is that expressed? Well, patience, patience, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. The idea, though, is that this love, this creating in his own image, gave us the ability to communicate, gave us the ability to, to adore, to praise, and gave us the ability to follow Jesus, that, that following after. There's something special about the ability to choose and to think and to process and to appreciate. That's what God's love built in for us. But of course, we know that in the creation of Adam, Adam sinned. And so after Adam sins, God has to put justice in place. So we go from creating man in our image, which is that act of love, to now having to go to the justice part, Genesis three nineteen. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Okay, so what you have here, you were taken from the ground, you're going back to the ground, that's what I told you. Discipline that fulfills your command and costs the life of your precious creation is justice. And you think, well, wait a minute. So God is love, he goes through all the trouble of creating man in his own image, and then his own justice is going to snuff his life out? What are you talking about? It doesn't make sense, does it? <laughs> it's hard to wrap your head around, isn't it? Until you know all of the details. And next segment, we're going to get into a lot more on those details. So let, let's do a little bit of wrapping up of what we know about love and justice so far, because we've, we've put a lot of things on the table, and there's a lot of questions that are yet to be answered. Well, Rick, love provokes creation, and not just any creation, 
but one in the creator's own likeness. And, and so, Rick, that's the human family. It's the human family. That's the way God intended the human family to be. And, you know, the intended home for the human family was planet Earth. I mean, God built it for this creation to be in harmony in his image. And you say, what went wrong? Patience on that. We'll get there. But that was the love behind it. Okay? The justice part. Well, Rick, justice puts that creation into an environment of necessary obedience to righteous commands. So, Rick, there are rules. And that's the important part. Love is not complete without the guidance that has to come with it. And that's where God's justice comes into play. Justice that put that creation into an environment where it's necessary to comply because there is right and there is wrong. So that's the justice part. Love makes the creation. Justice puts the guidelines to it. What's the next love piece? Well, love explains all of the potential consequences. And Rick, God gave full disclosure here. And that's so important. God did give full disclosure. He said, do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that. And if you do the things I told you not to do, there are consequences, and God had to fulfill those consequences because they were just, and that those are the things that he said. So love explains everything ahead of time. And then finally, the justice aspect. Justice calls sin out and levies the consequences. And Rick, God had full integrity because he followed through with what he said. And that really, you know, as a father... If you follow through with what you say, you're, even if you, we as imperfect fathers, even, our, our children will have so much more respect for us, even if we make mistakes, because we're imperfect. The fact that God follows through with what he says shows us the deep integrity, and our being created in that image is inspiring. So, so again, lots of, of moving parts here. So what we have is uh, justice has a pretty positive and brilliant source, God's creative love. It does, and now let's expand. We said earlier that justice needs mercy. Was mercy a last-minute solution for a plan gone wrong? We're excited to be hearing from our growing listening audience at ChristianQuestions.com through Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also chat with us now during the live broadcast. You know what would be really awesome? If you can leave us a review when you subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and others. It helps us reach even more people. Thank you for subscribing and reviewing. Now, let's take the next steps in our comprehensive conversation. Our whole context is based on the thinking that God is the ultimate model for justice and mercy. Too often people, Christians included, see God through the eyes of human imperfection. If we pay attention to the Bible, it tells us differently. We are about to see mercy, not as a last-minute Hail Mary play, but rather as an integral piece of the whole plan of God. And, and Jonathan, this is... This is this is something that most people miss. Most of us envision God throw, you know, and you know, you love football. You know that oh, yeah. it's the end of the, the half or the end of the game and there's, there's no time left. You just throw the ball in the end zone and you hope for the best. Yeah. And do a lot of praying yeah. at the same time. <laughs> but see, and, and a lot of us look at God 
as doing that. Like, oh, send Jesus quick. We got to fix this mess. That's not it at all. Okay, we, there's something so much more profound and powerful here. So when we look at justice in action, um, it, what we have to see is that true justice is the enforcement of benevolent love, and therefore true justice is restorative. So, so let, let's, let me take a minute on that, because to understand restorative justice, what we have to do is be able to look at it and say, what does that mean? And the point of justice, Jonathan, is not only to uh, engage consequences when there's a wrongdoing, but the true, deeper, long-term point of justice is to restore that one which did wrong so that they can grow by it. That's restorative justice. And that's something we just don't see so much in this world. What we're saying is that's the kind of justice that God had right from the start. How is that possible? We'll take a look. First John 4, 9. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. Okay. So God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. You know, we've got this sense of doom, from the, the, the sin of Adam. And yet, God, the love of God is manifested in that Jesus came as the Savior. That's a, the first step in understanding what restorative justice is. Let's go to a different, a different soundbite. This is from uh, Why Do We Need, uh, Why Do We Need, or Restorative Justice. Why Do We Need It? This is from Brave New Films. This is an interesting perspective on, on crime. Uh, and justice, and we're going to be going through this um, this reasoning uh, as we go through the podcast. Let's, let's let's listen to this. More than half of victims of violent crime don't even call the police in the first place. They prefer nothing to everything we have to offer. The vast majority of crime survivors' pain goes unhealed. What the existence of restorative justice means is that we can no longer pretend we don't know what else to do. As a country, we're really good at punishment. It's passive. It doesn't require people to act, to think. It certainly doesn't require them to change. When we lock people up, we excuse them from their responsibility to answer for what they've done. Restorative justice is a process to hold them accountable. It's a tool. And so, you know, there is definitely a movement in, 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 in our country and in the world to, to find restorative justice within the confines of our imperfect society. That's a great movement because her point was, you know, you lock people away and you're not making them accountable. Now we say, well, they're being locked away and that's their accountability. True. That's their consequence. That's their punishment. But where is the payback? Where is the growing through? Where is the healing process? And where's the change of heart right. after making a mistake? So what we're saying is God's justice is exactly that way. God's justice is restorative. God's first act of justice-based mercy. So now we, we established that justice is the foundation of God's throne. So now we're going to look at God's justice-based mercy. His first act of justice-based mercy on behalf of humanity, the first time, and you know, you can ask people, you, when did God act his first act of justice-based mercy for humanity? And a lot of people are going to say, well, when Jesus came. Because you've got mercy there, right? Oh, there is beautiful mercy there. There is, but that wasn't the first act. 
No, it was not. So you can say, well, was it uh, back when he put the law in place and they were sacrificing? Uh, That was good. That was merciful. But that wasn't the first act. It goes back further, doesn't it? Was it saving Noah when the whole world deserved to be destroyed? That was merciful. But was that the first act of God's justice-based mercy? No, I think it goes back further than that. Well, maybe it could have been in the Garden of Eden. I mean, look, you know, you're right at the beginning. You got creation, okay? And you're right there. Maybe by by throwing them out of the garden instead of just squashing them like a bug right there, that was mercy. Was that God's first act of justice-based mercy? I think actually it goes further back than that, Rick. Well, you can't get much further. Or can you? You can. You, okay, let's look. Revelation 13, 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The Lamb is? Jesus. It says the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Okay, let's take, what does that mean? What, what's the foundation? Well, Rick, it means founding, figuratively, conception. So it's not like you're pouring a concrete foundation. That's not what the word means. The foundation of the world is from the conception, from the idea stage of the world. That's even before humankind is created, Rick. That's before the animals are created. This is going way back. And now, so it says the foundation of the world. Now, does the world mean terra firma? Does the world mean the grass and the trees and and the plants and the meadows and all of that? Well, this Greek word means orderly arrangement, that is, decoration. So the orderly arrangement. So when God had, and and this is figurative speaking here, this is Rick's imagination running wild, God's got these big old blueprints, and he calls his heavenly host together and says, look at this, and he unrolls the blueprints, and he shows planet Earth. Ah, And, and, And see, at that point where he shows planet Earth, and he shows the animal kingdom, and he shows mankind, and says, this is what we're going to do. It says the lamb was slain at that point. So what that means is God foresaw sin and disobedience at the inception of the whole creative process. So when we say, well, Jesus was the first act of restorative justice, no, the thought of Jesus coming before creation even started was the first act of restorative justice. That's how we know his justice is restorative. Because he could see the whole thing unfold. Go ahead. What, what wisdom from a heavenly father to want to teach his creation right. an eternal lesson. Right. And that's exactly what he was doing. He was teaching an eternal lesson by allowing sin and putting the restorative justice in place before anything went wrong. That's amazing. It is. That's, that's the model of justice and mercy that we have before us. Mercy, you can see how mercy fits with justice. God had it all worked out ahead of time. So, so Jonathan, justice is driven by what? By love, Rick. It is the even-handed consequence bestowed upon someone based upon their righteous treatment in response to their actions, words, and motivations, and thereby bringing equity and balance. Rick, justice holds to mercy to an anchor its force. Okay, so the idea is justice is driven by love, 
because justice is even-handed. Justice isn't brutal. Justice isn't harsh. Justice isn't heartless. True justice is 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 even-handed and driven by love, and we see God's creative love for humanity. And we see that his mercy was expressed even before he started the creative process of mankind. And that's why, at the end, you know, justice holds to mercy to anchor its force. Mercy, justice has great, great force. Great force. And mercy makes that force ever more valuable. So now, when we see justice and mercy expressed by God, even before humankind was created... We can really get going on this. Our just, our mercy, is mercy compatible with justice question? And we can see that in God's eyes, in God's mind, in God's plan, and in God's word, his mercy is utterly compatible and a necessary part of his justice. So, Jonathan, God's justice is ultimately restorative. How do we practice adhering to justice in a restorative way? What should we be thinking? What should we be doing? What, what's up for us practicing justice in a restorative way? Well, Rick, because the scripture says, because judgment begins with the house of the Lord, uh, meaning followers of Christ are accountable now in advance of the world for their words and their actions. If dealing with the brotherhood, we should see them spiritually and not fleshly. And we should help build them up, um, help them develop those Christ-likeness um, qualities. But, Rick, because we all sin and make mistakes, we should often give each other the benefit of the doubt along the natural lines of our lives. But if the mistake needs to be addressed from your brother or sister in Christ, you need to address it while you go to them humbly and alone and talk with them. And share your concern and explain in Matthew 18 that you're there to help them get back on course. Um, and it, that shows mercy. So we can have that restorative justice by applying mercy. And, and we have to do it in a very, very humble way because we're so very, very imperfect ourselves. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So let's uh, just take a quick look at mercy in the Old Testament. We want to look at one scripture, kind of a definition, and then we want to go to, to an additional comment here. So Micah 6, 8. He hath shown thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Again, very common, very popular scripture. Do justly. Love, mercy, walk humbly with God. What does mercy actually mean? Well, Rick, it means goodness, kindness, and faithfulness. Okay, love being good, kind, and faithful to those around you. So that's a, a, a quick look at mercy in the Old Testament. Again, a lot of people look at the Old Testament and say, it's merciless. No, 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 not at all. You just, you just, you just, you're picking out, you know, you're cherry-picking certain scriptures. You've got to see it as a whole. Uh, Jonathan, before we go any further, Trisha's got a thought, comment, or question, or something. <laughs> or something. Or something. Um, just what struck me when Jonathan was talking a few seconds ago is that we don't, I think we've forgotten what the word father means. When we say heavenly father, this is what a father is. He, he's planned it out as a parent. If we're a good parent, we look to the future and what we do, not just for the immediate satisfaction. So 
I think this is a great picture of what a father is. So a father will embark on restorative justice for their children. I mean, that's what you and I would do. Thank you, Trish. Absolutely. And that's what Trish and I have always tried to do with our kids is, is you, 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 you pronounce justice and judgment in a way that they can learn in the long term. That's yeah. such an important thing. God's justice is merciful. It is restorative. In the Old Testament, we were shown what mercy is. New Testament verse, and then just understanding what, what mercy is in the New Testament. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And Rick, that word mercy means have compassion or pity on. Have, obtain, receive, show mercy on. Okay, so very, very similar meanings. You know, there's not a lot of, of, of parsing of words here. The bottom line is to have goodness and kindness and compassion. That's what mercy is. And, you know, we look at mercy in relation to justice. When, when somebody um, has, has justice pronounced upon them, mercy is saying, okay, let's do something a little bit different than just the, the judgment part. Let's add something to it that gives them some kind of a leg up. And you say, well, may, they may not deserve it. No, they may not. But that's, that's mercy. You know, and that's and that's the beauty of God's own plan. And the beautiful thing, Jonathan, is even in the Old Testament where people say, well, God was this harsh, you know, judge and, you know, beating down and on on everybody. There is so much written about his mercy. Let's go to Psalm 36 verses uh, five through seven. Then we'll do verses 10 and 11. Your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like a great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. So the word for loving kindness in that verse, your loving kindness extends to the heavens, is the same word for do justice, love, mercy. Your mercy, your faithfulness, your goodness, your compassion extends to the heavens. In other words, it is, it's so big the earth can't even hold it. Okay, Verses, uh, verse 7. How precious is your loving kindness, O God, and the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Think of the sensitivity of that picture. And that that really fits with what Trish just said. How precious is your loving kindness, your mercy, your compassion. Uh, to, to the, uh, you know, men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. You know, when you've got the, 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 um, the bird protecting their young, they put them under their wings. So you can't even see them. They're completely covered. You know, and there's that story of, uh, of, of, of a forest fire several years ago. And there, after it was all done, there was a, one of the firefighters was going through the woods and he saw a bird on the ground and it was dead. It was burned alive. And you think, why didn't the bird fly away? And it got knocked over and there was a little, little chick underneath its wing and it was alive. So that, wow. that you know, th- under his wings, that's the, that's the mercy of God. Verses uh, 10 and 11. Oh, continue your loving kindness to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come upon me and let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. So your mercy extends to the heavens. It's precious. You hide in the shadow of his wings. And it's, and it's saying, God, just continue it. It's so good. It's so precious. It's so valuable. I don't want anything to come between you and your mercy. Or, or be, between, I'm sorry, between your mercy and me. That, that's what David is saying in the psalm. God's mercy 
surrounds the earth. And we know that because the scripture we read earlier, the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world, from the very thought of the creation of the world. God already had restorative justice in place. So God's mercy does surround the earth. It protects the feeble and it's, it's reachable as long as we don't allow our own pride or another's wickedness to interfere. And look, those things can be hard to, to, to avoid, but it's reachable. That's the point. And Rick, God's mercy in action is evidenced by the restorative nature of his justice. Even the Old Testament showed us that. So when you look at the mercy of God, what we're trying to say is don't ever look at it outside of the value of the restorative justice that he put in place from even before Adam was created, long before Adam was created. That's God's mercy really in action. It is a predetermined, long-term plan, okay? So, understanding God is to understand how justice and mercy really work. With that understanding, let's get practical. How do we personally apply the combination of justice and mercy that God has exampled for us? If you disagree with some of Rick and Jonathan's viewpoints, no matter your beliefs, we want to hear from you. Reach out to us at ChristianQuestions.com or through our app by searching for Christian Questions in your app store. Our producers are feeding us your awesome comments and questions every week, so keep them coming. In this next CQ chapter, we're going 3D. Three viewpoints. Christian, secular, and neutral. Even to attempt acting in a godly manner in a world such as ours can be utterly scary. This world has traded in true justice and exchanged it for personal preference and politics. Mercy is, therefore, based on feelings and associations and ends up being nothing more than an extension of emotion. And Jonathan, that's something we have to really watch out for. Mercy is not according to Scripture, according to the character of God. It is not just an extension of emotion. Oh, I feel bad for you, so I'm going to have mercy. God's mercy is so much bigger than that. That's an insult to the mercy of God to make it an extension of emotion. And Rick, first we learn uh, intellectually, and then it reaches our heart. So we become spiritually centered. And that's the thing, you know, it, it, you've got to put the head and the heart together because otherwise we're, we, we're lost and we have lost, we've lost our heads, Jonathan. <laughs> in our, we really have in our society, we have really lost our heads because we are not following through on the head and the heart working together. So our mercy should not be just a feeling. It should be based in something much deeper, much more powerful. So we need to find our footing. Israel turns out, had the same problem that we have, or we have the same problem Israel had, or one way or the other. It's all the same, okay? In Hosea chapter 6, verses 4 to 6, this is the context of Israel having walked away from God and God having to, to tell them again, look, you guys have got to get your act together better than you've been doing. Hosea 6, 4 to 6. O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as a morning cloud, and as the early dew, it goeth away. Therefore have I hewed them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and thy judgments 
are as the light that goeth forth. So, so he's saying, I love the picture language. He says, you know, your goodness is as the morning cloud, and as the early dew, it goes away. So your goodness is great. It's abundant until the sun comes up and just burns it off. And then for the whole day, you got nothing. <laughs> that's that's what he's saying. He's saying, you know, you've got to be better than that in relation to what it is that I require from you. So what did God require from them? And again, when you look at the Old Testament, a lot of us look at the Old Testament, a lot of Christians look at the Old Testament and say, well, they had to do the sacrifices. They had to live by the law. They had to follow through. They had to do exactly what God said or else they would get punished. But here's what God says he's looking for here. Verse 6. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. That's amazing. Well, it shouldn't be surprising, but it's amazing in the context of the Christian world. In the Old Testament, God is saying to Israel, I desired mercy from you. I wanted compassion from you, not sacrifices. But you say, well, wait, he made them make the sacrifices. They had to do the sacrifices. If they didn't do the sacrifices, they got punished. So, so what's the deal here? Well, God's justice sent punishment for the wrongdoing, and his sending it was an act of mercy. Just like, remember, you, you mentioned back in the Garden of Eden, there was yes. the full disclosure and then the integrity of delivery. He told them that they needed to see service to him in a personal way, not just in a fulfilling required tasks way. And, and Jonathan, a good ex- uh, example of this would be, again, let's go back to raising kids. And, you know, I don't know if you ever had it with your son. You know, I had three kids, so I had three times as much opportunity for this part. (laughs) Okay. But when something went wrong and, you know, you're talking to your children about doing the things they need to do to to make up for something, oftentimes they do it with that begrudging attitude. You know, okay, I got to do this because if I don't do this, I don't get to go out and play. Or if I don't do this, I'm I'm still going to be punished. Absolutely. I, I get it. Yes. You know, and... There comes a point where that's not what you're looking for. What you're looking for is that cheerfulness in the attitude. And, you know, again, quick little, little, little story. When my son Tim, who's now in the Coast Guard and goes and, you know, chases terrorists for a living, <laughs> was a little boy, he, um, he, he had stolen one of his buddy's pencils and, and broken them, you know. And this was a big deal when you're, you know, six years old or something. So he and I sat down and had a really heavy-duty, heart-to-heart talk. And he had to go and earn the money. And then we went to the store and we bought pencils. And, you know, in earning the money to buy the pencils, it was begrudging at first. But then his attitude started to change because I kept talking to him about, you're going to be able to give your friend back brand something brand new because you, you did something you shouldn't have done. And it's such a great thing to be able to do that. And he started to get excited. And when we went to the store, he found the coolest pencils that he could find and said, Dad, can I buy these? You know, and he was excited. And we went to the, the, the little boy's house, and when we delivered those pencils, I mean, my, my little boy, six years old, however old he was, he was there, and he was so happy to say, here, I broke your other ones, but here, these are brand new, and these are for you. And this little boy's mother looked at me, and she looked at Tim, and she was flabbergasted. <laughs> wow. And she said, Tim, that was such a manly thing for you to do. And I'll never forget it. He was beaming because it was restorative. You know, and that's the point. That's what God wants. He started out doing the work because he had to. He ended up doing the work because he wanted to. 
That's where we need to go with our mercy and our justice. Let's, let's go to another soundbite, Justice versus Mercy, from Todd Reinhardt. Now, remember, he's the one who said, you know, who's, who's separating justice and mercy. Now, we spent a lot of time putting them back together. So let's just go back to the other perspective and see what he has to say. The virtuous aspects of character, as well as the fortitude of the mind, will decline and atrophy if the justice of reality is dodged in favor of mercy. Justice allows for mistakes if those mistakes are honestly accounted for and corrected. While honoring natural growth of character and skills, it does not honor laziness, refusal to grow, irresponsibility, dishonesty, or the dastardly misuse of the mind to avoid, recreate, or evade reality. But if improperly applied, mercy does. The mental processes that rationalize mercy subordinate rational thought and long-range thinking to feelings, wishes, and whims. See, now he's talking about a misapplication of mercy, because we said at the beginning of the segment, don't let mercy be an extension of your emotions. And he's lumping all of mercy into that category. And that's a shame. Because it is. you miss the point. Mercy makes justice restorative. It makes justice complete. If we do it God's way, our justice and mercy need to be based on godly principles, not human preferences. And Jonathan, that's a tough one. That is. It is very hard. We, we, we get stuck in that all the time. So how do we equip ourselves to apply true justice-based mercy rather than emotion-based mercy? What do we do? How do you say, got to get out of the wrong stuff, get into the right stuff, because mercy is an important part of justice— how do we equip ourselves? Let's go to a couple of scriptures. So, uh, Proverbs sixteen six. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Okay. Well, Rick, one point on that verse. The word fear there means revere, reverence. Okay. So reading it again, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the reverence of the Lord, men depart from evil. That really makes a difference to understand the true meaning of the word. It does. Because the reverence of God, when you reverence God, you depart from evil. See, a lot of people, again, misrepresent God and say, and look, Christianity did that for generations and generations. This whole idea of, 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 uh, of hellfire and all of that was a way to get people to be afraid of God. That doesn't drive people toward righteousness. That drives people to act in a way to just protect themselves. There's no genuine righteousness. Reverence for God, knowing his character, knowing what drives him, that brings people away from evil because God is so contrary. So by mercy, by compassion, by kindness and truth, iniquity is purged. So we can see that compassion helps us to focus ourselves, and reverencing God and his principles and his, his character also brings men from evil. Next scripture, Proverbs 3, 3. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. Okay, so Jonathan, with that scripture, okay, how can we, in a practical way, bind mercy and truth around our neck? Well, Rick, practically, uh, you can go out and buy some jewelry, some bling, and, and write out the words mercy and truth with some diamonds, wait, wait. stud diamonds, and some gold jewelry. Jonathan. And, and, 
Just kidding. Just <laughs> focus there, brother. Okay, Jonathan says, bind him about with bling. Okay, I don't think so, but... <laughs> All right. Seriously, okay. keeping Jesus in our hearts. That You know, when you bind something around you, your neck, it touches your heart. So keeping Jesus close. He lived mercy and truth with every fiber in him. So as we're trying to follow in his footsteps, we need to be reminded over and over again in God's word how that looks. What did he say? How did he react? We need to know his compassion. So bind it around your neck. It's on, it's the, on the outside. It should be able to show is what you're saying. Live the following of Jesus. When you have it written on the table of your heart, it's be a follower of Jesus. It's the inside and it's the outside. No bling needed. Oh. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but what we need to do is focus ourselves on the kind of mercy that is based on justice, which is based on God's love. So the following scripture is a great barometer for pinpointing the motivation for our justice and our mercy. Matthew 23, so, so this is going to be Matthew twenty-two thirty-six to 40. But again, we want to pinpoint our motivation for our justice and mercy. Let's go. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. So, uh, you know, the, the idea here is you've got this lawyer asking Jesus, you know, about what's the greatest commandment. You know, and, and, you know, he's being very philosophical with Jesus. And so Jesus gives him a very straightforward answer. Love God in every way. And if you love God in every way, Jesus is essentially saying that will lift your standards of judgment to a higher basis that uh, we alone um, uh, can, can see. The, the standard of, from which we should live is different than the standard by which the average human being should live. If we know Jesus, we are obligated to raise that standard because Jesus, being the Son of God, showed us the character of God in his imitation of God, in his following of God's word, God's way, and God's will. And so that first commandment, love God with your whole heart, be consumed by that love, and Jesus doesn't stop there. Verse 39 and 40. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Okay. So because we love God first and foremost, loving our neighbor as ourselves propels us into a justice-based approach to mercy So we can, because we can now see through the eyes of the other person's best long-term interests. And Rick, Christians have a triple standard. Wait, it's wait, wait. A triple standard. A triple standard. There's no bling here. No. Okay. Expect justice of or from ourselves, but at the same time, we need to show love for both the brethren, the followers of Christ, and love for the world of mankind. We will hold the brethren to a higher standard because they profess Christ in their lives. Okay. But we need to look at ourselves. We need to focus on us. So to, to, to just, just translate that. So what you're saying is, okay, the standard that I hold myself to should be different. That's right. Should be higher. Yes. Because I can see what my heart is all about. I can't see what the heart of my brother is all about. 
the standard that I hold you to should be high, but should have a little bit more of that 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 mercy in it because I can't read your heart. Exactly, exactly. And then the standard that I hold the people that you and I might work with or see on an everyday basis outside of Christianity is entirely different. Is that what you're saying? Yes, I am. We have to show more mercy to them. Because they're only accountable for what they know or can know. Exactly. So, And, and that's an interesting point. Mercy is compatible with justice. Now, because we live in an imperfect world, our application of this is going to be not nearly as clear as God's application. Because, yes. because God has got the eternal plan in place, and the whole thing is, is, is lined up from early on before man was created till way, way after. So there's a difference in how we apply it. But we have to do the best we can to rise up to the highest standard without overstepping the boundaries of what would be proper justice and judgment. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Let's go back to that. Remember we went to that second soundbite source, Restorative Justice, Why We Need... Uh, why we need it from Brave New Films. And she began by saying, uh, you know, we really don't have any excuses. We need to be involved in restorative justice. And that's the kind of justice that creates responsibility for wrongdoing. This, so this is fascinating to hear this perspective. Let's listen to more. People take turns answering questions like what happened? What needs arise? Whose responsibility is it to meet those needs? And how is that person going to do it? It requires someone to take responsibility, to repair things as much as possible, and to never commit that harm again. This isn't about feeling sorry. It's about doing sorry. Things like go to school, get a job, pay restitution, apologize, do community service. Restorative justice practices have been used to address low-level infractions like vandalism up to addressing the impact of murders on the surviving family members. So what she's saying, and, and, and the phrase that really got my attention was, it's not about being sorry. It's about doing sorry. I like that. In other words, do what you can to change, to show your sorrow for the wrong that you have done to someone else, for the hurt that you have created. And by becoming viable and contributory, you can actually begin to restore. You can't replace what you did, but you can begin to restore equilibrium and order to the circumstances. And that's power. That's great power in that. So justice-based mercy can only be applied if we're seeing with godly rather with a godly perspective rather than a human perspective it's all with the uh, with the your choice of the eyes through which you look are you going to look through godly eyes or are you going to look through human eyes and jonathan it's a tough decision but to be involved in mercy that's compatible with justice it's got to be godly eyes okay so mercy and justice together and then how does grace come into the picture well, Rick, mercy would not exist but for justice. Mercy is undeserved compassion bestowed upon someone who deserves a negative consequence and thereby brings relief of pain, suffering, or misery. Mercy seeks grace to multiply its reach. Okay, so now grace enters the picture. If we get the grace connection, it's all going to begin to gel. Sounds good. But wait. We have godly justice and mercy, and now there is grace. Aren't mercy and grace the same? 
We're constantly looking to our listeners for your feedback on our weekly episode discussions. Let us know if you'd like to hear more topics like this one or new topical suggestions. Keep your comments coming at ChristianQuestions.com and our Facebook page. We're also talking about topics in Reddit, and you should check us out helping answer questions on Quora. That's Q-U-O-R-A.com. We're engaging in combo everywhere. Thanks for listening, and get ready for us to take a deeper dive right now. Bringing grace into the mix is necessary and enlightening as well. We will find that grace completes the circle of influence that we began with. Remember, love provoked creation. Justice supports and enhances love. Mercy completes justice, while grace expands mercy and is defined by love, which provoked creation and had justice to support it, and on and on. And there's this circle of activity that God's character reveals for us and, and through us, which is really, really important. And, and Jonathan, in that, in that quick little break, um, he mentioned uh, Quora. And, you know, it's a, it's a site you can go to, Quora.com, where you can, there's questions and answers. And we, we are active on Quora. And there's a couple of just quick little um, answers to the question, because we put it out there. Is mercy compatible with justice? And I'm going to read just parts of some answers. Albert said, mercy should not be automatic, but should be available to those who show remorse. There's a powerful point there because, you know, you want to have mercy, have power in what it does. Somebody else, Oliver said, no, it's manifestly unjust. Talking about mercy. It sounds like the soundbite guy we were talking about earlier. Mercy is unearned forgiveness, which is to excuse the injustice for no reason at all. Okay, so that that's another perspective. You look at that and say, well, okay, but that's not God's restorative justice, which has mercy built in. Michael says, yes, but for justice to mean anything, there must first be sorrow. So, you know, there's lots of perspectives on dealing with justice and mercy. And what we want to do now is we want to understand how it all works. Now, you mentioned mercy and grace at the very, very end of the last segment, moving into this segment. Mercy and grace need to be compared because there's a tremendous difference, even though a lot of us look at it and say, well, it's kind of like the same thing. Short definition of mercy. What's the, go ahead, short definition. Not getting what you do deserve. Okay, so mercy is not getting what you do. You deserve something, but you don't end up getting it. What's grace? Getting what you do not deserve. Okay, not getting what you deserve versus getting what you don't deserve. Not getting what you deserve on the negative sense, but getting what you don't deserve in a positive sense. So it's a negative and a positive about the same kind of benevolence. And that's an important factor in this whole picture. It's the benevolence of God that we've been talking about that dictates how our justice and our mercy can, in fact, be really, really compatible. With that all said, let's go back to our our friend uh, Todd Reinhardt, Justice versus Mercy. Uh, And again, he's got that separating the two out uh, perspective. But again, it's a good perspective to hear because you want to get you want to get put put everything uh, you can on the table. The Jewish religion is closer to rational morality than the Christian religion. The Jewish tradition is based on a rudimentary moral construct where their moral tenets hang on the fundamental concept of justice. In the Christian tradition, their rudimentary moral construct is such that their fundamental moral tenets hang on the concept of mercy. This explains why over thousands of years certain differences have emerged between the two societies. The Jewish culture has greater stability, productivity, and innovation. It's populated with happier, healthier people 
who are more accepting of the concept of personal responsibility. By extension, this reveals why they're so hated by unstable, unproductive people and societies. Therefore, it can be understood that, in spite of all words, actions, and attitudes to the contrary, hatred for the Jews is generally rooted in childish envy. That's kind of an interesting thought, and, you know, I think you might have something there. <laughs> I think you're right. And, and you know, the, the thing to, to, be, to, to understand is, you know, in that comparison, we're looking at the way Christianity in general may interpret something. But it's, we have to understand that many, 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 many times in, in life, the way Christianity in general interprets Scripture, when you examine Scripture, is not the way Scripture is intended. So we have to understand that mercy in relation to true Christianity, according to scriptural principles, is different than what he was describing. Because it's not loose, it's not emotional, it's not thoughtless. It is important and deep and justice-based. And Rick, before the podcast, we were talking, and I love the phrase that, that you shared. Mercy is the result of justice. Yeah. Wow, how powerful that is. And, you know, well, where do you get that? That sounds profound. Well, just read the scriptures and look at how God's plan had mercy coming out even before the, the wrong was done. It's the result of justice. It's the result of the punishment. God put it all in place. So now we want to bring grace into the picture because grace actually doesn't exist unless there's mercy. Okay? So grace in action— you know, when you think of grace in action, you think of... The golden rule. Yeah. You know, one of the most simple and profound sayings ever uttered anytime, anywhere, Matthew seven twelve. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. Okay. It's a simple, simple, simple statement. Now, Jesus credits the Old Testament for the ingredients that make up the saying, because he said, you know, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. This is what the law and the prophets were all about. Again, he's reminding his, his newly forming Christian audience that the Old Testament really was showing us that it's got to be a heartfelt thing. It's got to be personal, not just action-oriented, but personal. Now, the interesting thing, Jonathan, is a lot of people say that Jesus copied this phrase from other ancient wisdom found elsewhere. So was he copying? We actually did a, a podcast uh, a few years ago uh, on the Ten Commandments and the Golden Rule and went through this in much, much, much more detail. But just for the moment, let's just touch on that because I, I can't ask that question without giving an answer, okay? Because no, he wasn't copying. How do we know? Well, let's take a look at some some other religions and their perspective on what some may say Jesus copied. Hindu religion taught what? This is the sum of duty. Do not to others, which if done to thee, would cause thee pain. Okay. Don't do to someone else that if it was done back to you, would hurt you. Okay. Buddhist religion teaches what? Hurt not others with that which pains yourself. Okay. So again, it has to do with pain. The Baha'i religion teaches what? He should not wish for others that which he doth not wish for himself, nor promise that which he doth not fulfill. Okay, so the first two are very, very, very typical. Third one, a little bit different, but they're sort of in, in a negative sense. Don't inflict pain on someone because you wouldn't want them to inflict pain on you. 
What Jesus is saying is something entirely positive. Treat people positively, respectfully, joyfully, carefully, wisely, with benevolence, with, with mercy, because that's the way you want to be treated. His value to us is, say, is saying, ex- spread grace wherever you go. That's what Jesus is saying. And when you look at all of those others, they're saying, be nice. But Jesus is saying, spread grace. It's bigger, it's higher, it's more powerful, and far more profound and life-changing. So we have to learn to have our mercy lead to grace. Now, see, that, that adds a whole different dimension, because a lot of times you say, okay, you know, we'll have mercy here. And then you have mercy, and you're like, glad I'm done with that. Yeah, that was tough. I'm move on. <laughs> but that's not what we're shown. That's not what we're taught. We are taught something bigger, more powerful than that. God's example shows us, have our mercy lead to grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. Let's take verses 4 to 6 to start. But God, who was rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And he hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So the verses started out with that principle. God is rich in mercy. And again, we saw that from before the foundation of the world. God's mercy, restorative justice, that's what mercy is, was in place. He loved us. He provided. And then God's grace said, Oh, not only am I going to provide a way for you to have life, but by grace, I'm going to give you a gift that's completely unmerited. I'm going to give those of you who follow my son, Jesus, a heavenly reward. That's nowhere in that contract originally. This is pure grace. So God's mercy brought us grace. And that's something we don't deserve and we could never repay right. for that grace. Yeah, yeah. How do you earn that? Go ahead. Tell you me. You can't. You can't. <laughs> Impossible. So, so Jesus was the price for justice to be paid, and the end result is grace, and the grace prevails for eternity. That's the template that we're given. So our justice has to be restorative and merciful and should bring us to the ability to pour out grace. And how does God's template work? Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2, because remember, it says, sit in the heavenly places uh, with, with Christ Jesus, verses 7 through 10 of Ephesians 2. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath done before ordained that we should walk in them. So he's talking about the ages to come, and that's where the grace really begins to, to explode into its, into its magnificence. We see grace now, we think it's amazing. We haven't seen anything yet. But it's all based on God's justice, which is restorative, which has mercy, which brings grace into the picture and makes everything bigger. So, so Jonathan, in everyday life, let's get practical. How do we apply mercy to those around us and have it grow into grace? Well, Rick, this question reminded me of something before we get practical. And that was Jesus' experience when he was before the high priest and the witnesses 
which contradicted each other, attempting to bring charges against him. It wasn't until he spoke up that they had something to accuse him of. Yeah, that's right. So, so the question, Rick, is did Jesus show mercy by speaking up and, and why? <laughs> well, you know, he did. He did show mercy and, and, and then, and then he showed grace, you know, because they jumped to a conclusion. It was wrong. And that, then, you know, that's how, what they used to, to put him before Pilate and so forth and crucify him. But the grace was he went through with it for their benefit. He died for them as well as for everybody else. If that's not grace, I don't know what is. You're right. Absolutely. That's our example. But but what about everyday life? Well, you uh, know, with this. Okay, you know, another quick quick little story. You know, we all get phone calls from scammers occasionally, right? Oh yeah. Okay. I have come to a point in my life where I actually look forward to those phone calls. And you say, yeah, okay, this is Rick. Rick is a little bit off really? his rocker. Yes, because <laughs> here's why, Jonathan. Because these people are calling to steal from you. Okay, you know it, I know it, and they know it. So when the person calls and says, well, I represent Windows and your computer's in rough shape and we need to take a look right now, I say, really? And then I say, and Jonathan, I really do this. I say, listen, you and I both know that you're looking to steal and that's just wrong. And I want you to know that God sees what you're doing. Not only does he see it, but there is a day of judgment coming where you're going to have to make good for the wrong that you do. So if I were you, my advice to you is to start making your ways right now and don't wait till later because it's going to be much harder. Because God knows you will not get away with this. So I would mend my ways now if I were you. You understand? I literally, that's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And you know, to me, that's giving them mercy and giving them the grace of letting them know. And usually the, the funny thing is they always listen. And then when I say, do you understand? Then they get mad. They swear at me and they hang up. But I don't care about that. What I care about <laughs> is they listened and it was maybe planting a seed of God's mercy and grace saying to them, you know, God's mercy will not let you get away with this. And God's grace is going to give you an opportunity, but you're going to make it harder for yourself. So to me, there's a little practical example of how we can do it in a just very strange kind of way. That's a good one. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's wrap up this portion here, Jonathan, a little bit here. Grace is born out of mercy. Grace is undeserved favor or standing bestowed upon someone who is not capable of earning such recognition and thereby brings previously unattainable opportunity. Grace is defined by love. Okay. Grace is born out of mercy. Folks, let's not ever forget that. Mercy is good. Grace is better because grace is longstanding. Grace builds. Mercy opens. Grace builds. Okay. Again, let's get back to the a restorative justice, why do we need it from Brave New Films, about the idea of trying to get justice to work in our justice system. Restorative justice processes are first and foremost about meeting the needs of people who are hurt. Sometimes the person who can make the greatest contribution to a survivor's healing is the person who harmed them. To come through trauma, we need answers to our questions. To say, my life was never the same after you hurt me like that. Crime survivors want the most safety possibly available. So if incarceration actually produced safety, we would have the safest country in human history. That's not what we have. 
And she's, she's right. You know, the idea is to restore. Now, in this world, and with the sin that we're surrounded with, it's, it's in many, many cases, it's just simply not possible. doesn't mean you shouldn't try. doesn't Good mean point. you shouldn't put those principles in place and work really hard at them. Colossians three twelve to 15. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So when you look at that scripture and you read through it and you sort of pause and consider, bear with one another, forgive one another, whoever has a complaint, just as the Lord forgave you, forgive, have those attitudes of wanting to do and and be what's right, having that mercy, but then having the grace that's built upon it. Justice-based mercy must be cultivated and practiced beginning with Christ-like heart. You can't have justice-based mercy. Justice and mercy are compatible, but you can't have justice-based mercy in this world without having that Christ-like heart. Okay, so really what we're finding out here is there are a lot of moving parts. So is there a shortcut anywhere here? No, no shortcut. Just a question about shortcuts. How do we avoid the simple convenience over the spiritual conscience application of justice and mercy. Talk to us during our live Monday night podcast from 8 to 9.30 every week. If you're listening through our app, just hit the message button. If you're on ChristianQuestions.com, click on chat at the bottom of your screen. As our discussion continues, it is inevitable when we start to answer questions that more questions appear. Let's see how this expands. As with anything that requires making our own feelings secondary, focusing on applying justice and mercy in a godly fashion is challenging. The subtlety of this endeavor is in the fact that we are so good at rationalizing our comfortable thinking into actions that we see as unbiased. We take our thinking that's comfortable and we make it work and we squeeze. It's like squeezing the round peg into the square hole. My thinking is comfortable and I want it to be the right thing and I want it to be the godly thing. So it's going to be, but it doesn't fit. But we work it because it's so comfortable and we've got to be so careful with that. Jonathan, that has none of the components that we've been talking about. No, it doesn't, Rick. (laughs) It's, it's, it's void. It's empty, okay? Justice-based mercy must have a different source than we are likely comfortable with. This is hard. This is hard. You know, how do we avoid the question you asked, the simple convenience uh, and get the spiritual conscience? Simple convenience. Throw it away. Attach yourself to spiritual conscience. How do you do that? Well, let's go to Luke 6, 35 and 36. But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to the ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So, we have seen God's mercy. Okay, let's start with the end of that verse, and let's remind ourselves of that. The mercy of God is the restorative part of justice. And it fits. It's part 
of God's justice. It's not because God's justice messed up, so he had to be merciful. It's not the Hail Mary pass at the end of the, the game to try to win. It's not desperation. It's planned. It is clarity. It is, it is, it is putting something in place that has eternal power to last. Be merciful the way God is merciful. And Jesus goes into a lot of different things here. Love your enemies. Do good. Lend. Expect nothing in return. Now, obviously, you do these things with the spirit of a sound mind, okay? Sure. <laughs> you know, um, he says God is even, even kind to ungrateful men. So why wouldn't you be? And that, those, these are hard things to do, okay? It's not comfortable to love your enemies, who wants to love your enemies when you want to strangle them? You know, I mean, if somebody does bad to you or to somebody you love or care about, and, you know, we've all had that happen in our lives, that's a struggle. And it says, love your enemies? But that's how you find, that's how you find justice and restorative justice that has mercy, that has grace, that brings us to love. These actions are all clear challenges to our personal biases, and we are biased individuals. We just are because we're human and because we're imperfect. Okay, long after the Hosea text where God was showing Israel to follow him with their hearts, remember, you know, your goodness is like the morning dew. When the sun comes up and you got nothing. Okay? <laughs> That's right. Okay, long after that, Jesus needed to remind the Pharisees of the exact same thing. I mean, literally, the, he literally is quoting that scripture to them. Nothing changes, Jonathan, unless something changes. And we can say, look at the Pharisees and say, yeah, they should have known better. Yeah, but folks, look in the mirror, man. Look in the mirror. What do you see? Do you see restorative justice that has that mercy? Do you see grace? Do you see God's love coming out from you? I know you might appreciate it inside of you, but is it coming out from you? Are we treating those around us with that kind of restorative mercy that is so much a part of true justice? Matthew uh, 9, 10 to 13 is Jesus talking to the Pharisees about that exact issue. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners. Okay, there's a caste system that the Pharisees were very comfortable with. They saw the tax collectors and the sinners, those who were not really trying that hard to abide by the law, and the tax collectors who were kind of half working for Rome and you know kind of scummy anyway because of what they did and taking our money and it really isn't just and all of that. And they look at that and say... Why is this man, because they talk to Jesus' followers, they're not talking to him, okay? Why is he spending his time with that rabble over there? You know and I know, now I'm paraphrasing obviously, you know, this is the Pharisee speaking. You know and I know that they're, they are those people. They're, we don't want to spend time with them. They're dirty. They're scummy. And what they do for a living is not even nice. So, you know, you've got this, this, this overt judgment that's pouring out of the Pharisees, and they're complaining to Jesus' disciples. Of course, Jesus doesn't just let that go. What does he do? But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, 
but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, you've got to understand what Jesus is really saying here. He says, first of all, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. He's saying, look, I realize that these are those people, maybe the people that you would say are from the other side of the tracks. I know that. That's why I talk to them. That's why I teach them. That's why I spend time with them, because they need me. So he's saying, I'm being merciful and compassionate and, 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 and pouring grace out to them because they have a need. How come you haven't done that? And then he says, but go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. Exactly what God had yelled at both houses of Israel about back in Hosea. And he's saying it to the Pharisees. He's saying, remember this? Hmm. Maybe you should be looking in the mirror. That's what he's telling them. So he's telling them, I'm helping those who need a physician. And by the way, if you look in the mirror, you're going to look, you look pretty sick. You're spiritually and emotionally sick. You need help. I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners. And he's really saying to them, you should be paying attention. So it's a very subtle push towards something very powerful for them. And Rick, justice-based mercy means understanding that God sees hearts as well as actions. Uh -huh. Okay. See, that's the point. And Jesus understood that their hearts were wrong. He understood that they were keeping the law. They were doing the things of the law. They were counting out the, the, the ties of their, of their, of their uh, um, uh, you know, the, the, the mint and the anise and, the, and, the, and the, the spices. That's what they were, you know, very meticulously making sure we give a tenth so it's exactly perfect. What are you doing? You're avoiding the people who need help and you're, and you're, and you're spending your time counting out oregano? I mean, come on, stop already. What is going on with you? You've missed it. You've missed God's justice and his mercy and his grace. Folks, we don't, let's, let's not fall into that category. He gives us actions to prod our hearts toward him and those actions are not just busy work that's the way the pharisees interpreted the law busy work if we do the busy work we look good no do the busy work but you've got to be good last uh soundbite from restorative justice why uh, why do we need it and again, it's talking about just the lack of our ability to implement this on a wide scale in this world. And, you know, it, it's a sad thing that we're listening to, but, it, but it, it helps us to really see the value of the type of justice that God, ex that God exampled for us. The core drivers of violence are shame, isolation, and inability to meet one's economic needs and exposure to violence. And we bake those into prisons to try and keep people from committing further violence. Incarceration exposes people to exactly the things that increase the likelihood that they'll go on to harm others. People who are hurt deserve a process that will help them heal. People who are responsible for crime have an obligation to be accountable for that. All of us deserve responses to crime that actually make us safer. Our current criminal justice system doesn't deliver any of those, and restorative justice at its best delivers them all. You know, and the good news for that, Jonathan, is in the future, in the next age, restorative justice will deliver that to every man, 
woman, and child, no matter what. Thank God. Give the opportunity on all sides. So let's get, again, back to being practical. If God primarily wants our hearts in the right place, should we not sacrifice if it's not from the heart? So if we're not doing it for the right reasons, should we just not do it at all? Well, Rick, this question made me think of a wonderful sister from our Bible study. At times she shared and testified about this, that she's so tired at times in her Christian walk that her heart's not into sacrificing for others. But she does it anyway. She goes through the motions even though she's exhausted and and, and is fighting to do something. And she does it because it's the right thing to do. And I love that about her. But, Rick, the effect she has on others is huge. Everyone knows the difficult experiences uh, she's gone through, but to see her faithfulness gives everyone else strength. So even though she is not clearer in her own mind, she still knows what's right, and she's doing it not just because it's busy work, but because she wants to do it. She wants to do it maybe for all the right reasons, but maybe all the reasons aren't lined up yet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, But she still does it. She does it, and I'm so thankful she does. <laughs> well, and so, and see, that gives us a sense of the kind of obligation we have. So it's not, it doesn't come down to just, well, if you feel like it, it's great to be a good Christian. No, just be a good Christian, and then you'll feel like it. <laughs> you know, I mean, really, that's what, what it comes down to. For First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, that was a great example. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So this, this I, and again, this is one of those scriptures that we quote a lot. Chosen, royal, owned of God, recipients of God's mercy. All of these things outline our responsibility to put forth justice-based mercy. Because we can't, we can't, we owe it to God. He owns us. We are chosen for a, 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 a role that is beyond our comprehension and beyond our abilities. So this is what it means to live by grace, to be that chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation. You've got to live it, though. And even when you don't feel like it justice-based mercy, and then having grace come from that. And then and that brings us back to love all over again. This is how we can begin to express our appreciation for God. You emulate the, the character of God by understanding these things and then actually trying to do them. One more scripture, Jonathan, as we begin to wrap this up. Uh, James chapter 2, verses uh, 8 to 13. If, however... You are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. You know, it's interesting. He uses the phrase fulfilling the royal law. And I think this, this elevates us beyond the Mosaic law, this royal love law of love your neighbor as yourself. And, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the law given to the followers of Christ. 
to that chosen generation, that royal priesthood, that holy nation, the people for God's own possession, because we have to represent God. And that law is one that is full of mercy based on God's justice. But that's not talking about the law covenant. No, no, it's talking about a higher law that doesn't have all of the do's and the don'ts and the sacrifices because Jesus was the sacrifice. It has got the the sense of giving your life over to this law from the inside out and fulfilling it is walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus' summation of the law. God, love God and love your neighbor. This is the royal law for the royal priesthood. Verses 10 through 13. For whoever keeps the law and yet stumbles in one point, he has been guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So mercy and justice. Are they compatible? And in this verse, it says mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, we keep saying that mercy and judgment and justice work together, and they do. But what this is saying is mercy triumphs over justice, meaning mercy is the final piece of justice, which brings us to grace, which brings us to the expression of God's love again, all over again. So, Jonathan, last, last phrase to put this together before we wrap this all up. Well, Rick, as disciples, we must uh, accentuate, (laughs) yes. Thank you, accentuate (laughs) the mercy aspect of justice, for that's how we have our privilege. It's our responsibility to really put the focus on the mercy aspect as Christians. And you said it before, we have that triple standard. We have to hold ourselves to the highest accountability of justice. And we have to have much more mercy when it comes to those around us. And then even more mercy when it comes to those who are not associated and, and you know, proclaiming themselves to be followers of Christ. So mercy triumphing over justice doesn't mean, aha, mercy put justice at its place and nailed it down and, and made it run away all, all embarrassed. No, 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 no. What that means is mercy triumphing over justice simply means that mercy gets the last word because justice was fulfilled. God's justice was fulfilled in the sacrifice of Jesus. It was planned before the foundation of the world. That tells us God had restorative justice in mind, and that is where the mercy was born before the foundation of the world. That mercy led to God's grace and to the ability to follow after Jesus. That leads us to not only be recipients of grace, but to give love to one another. And the love that we give is God's love, which incidentally was the whole motivation for creating humankind in the first place. It's this wonderful circle of how God works. For Jonathan Rick and Christian Questions, it's about making our mercy alive and compatible with the justice of God. It can be done. You can do it. Think about it. Folks, we do want to hear from you. Uh, Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to the Christian Questions in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, we'll be talking about Do My Doubts Mean I Don't Have Faith? Another great question for another podcast. Talk to you next week.